Welcome to the Forest Overstory podcast. This podcast explores forest stewardship in the Pacific Northwest, helping landowners and professionals gain new insights and information in the field of forest management. The Forest Overstory is a product of the Washington State University Extension Forestry Program and is supported by the Washington Department of Natural Resources and the Society of American Foresters. All right, welcome back, listeners. I hope you're enjoying the last few weeks of summer uh, as we head into fall. We're back today with another great episode. As usual, I'm your host, Patrick Schultz, uh, Extension Forester with Washington State University. My usual co-host, Kevin Zobras, is out today, so I am hosting solo. Uh, We're going to discuss something that's very important to all Washingtonians, uh, especially this time of year, and that is wildfire. Uh, But we're going to add a little twist and talk specifically about wildfire in Western Washington and how communities can prepare for it. So I am joined by an excellent guest, Jenny Coe, who is the Community and Wildfire Resilience Coordinator with the Washington Department of Natural Resources. Uh, And she's coordinator for Western Washington, so she's the exact right person to hash this topic out with. Uh, Jenny, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate the opportunity to be here chatting with you all today. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on. I've had you on my list for a while. I think even before I told you, I'd been waiting to to reach out to you and and talk about this because Western Washington wildfire, uh, especially for me being located on the west side, is just something that I'm very interested in talking about and digging into. Um, But the best place to start, as usual, uh, I always just like to get a little bit more into the background of our guests. Um, so, you know, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're coming from and how you came to work with the DNR and what your your expertise is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so um, I am a resident of Bellingham and I actually graduated from Western Washington University through... Um, their environmental college. And I did get a degree focused on natural resources management. So I'm actually using my four-year degree. (laughs) You can believe that. (laughs) I know that doesn't happen all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started, my career actually started uh, with the conservation districts. I was hired, I don't know, 20 plus years ago. to work for the Skagit Conservation District and then later for the Whatcom Conservation District. And while I was working with the conservation districts, um, I was kind of focused early on in, you know, watershed health education and, you know, working on riparian restoration and all things sort of natural resource related. Um, But I hadn't really had an opportunity or necessarily really thought about sort of forest health or wildfire issues to any, you know, degree. And we had a, our Department of Natural Resources fire prevention person from our region come into our office one day. This was back in 2005, I think. Um, he came into the office and said, hey, you know, we are really trying to start working on getting some education and program opportunities out to residents of Skagit County uh, to help them better understand our wildfire risk. And the conservation districts have a good rapport and trust with uh, landowners, both rural and urban um, and, you know, forest landowners. 
And, you know, we were thinking you could help us deliver this program. And that just sort of fell to me um, because I think at the time my boss was like, oh, you know, she's somebody who likes working with the public and, you know, doing outreach education. So we will hand this to her. (laughs) And so I pretty much learned everything I know about wildfire, wildfire preparedness, forest health on the job, interestingly, um, and have built, uh, you know, programs around wildfire preparedness and education since that point with, you know, a good mentor and a, and a partner, a forester partner at the conservation district. So long story short, I was there with the conservation districts for about 20 years and helping build uh, wildfire programs at other conservation districts around the state until last year. And I took this position uh, as the community resilience coordinator with DNR just over a year ago. So it's um, a relatively new position for me, but it's a lot of very similar work, but on a broader scale and obviously from a different um, employer perspective. That's awesome. I didn't realize that you were with the conservation districts for for so long before that that probably prepared you really well for this job. Yeah, we work a lot, um, not to get into too much detail in this direction, but we do, DNR does work very closely with conservation districts and they really are one of our closest partners in in this wildfire resilience work. So it is really handy to have had that experience there for so long, um, you know, prior to coming to DNR and filling this role. Yeah, that's awesome. So now you're the uh, coordinator for all of the West Side. And I know, like you said, you're still working with the conservation districts a lot. Um, you know, what what else is there to this job? Like, what's the what's the meat of your, your day-to-day? Yeah, great question. Well, first I'll start with the fact that there are seven of us coordinators around the state. So I'm oh. one of seven. And um, I mean, we're a relatively new team, basically, as of a year ago, a little over a year ago. So we're, we're placed throughout the state and we each serve a certain set of counties. And actually right now, um, you know, Western Washington is a little very large area to cover for one person. So I do have um, our coordinator who's based out of Yakima is actually covering the Southwest corner of Western Washington for me. Cause it's just, you know, it takes a long time to get there. I'm obviously up in Bellingham. So he's, he's covering that portion for me. And I just have the rest of Western Washington, which is still a very large area with a lot of people. Um, So that's kind of the, the area I'm focused on. Um, But I, our, basically our mission or our vision for, for the community resilience team around the state is really to inspire and empower individuals and communities really to coexist with wildfire. And that's through listening and advocating for community-based solutions. And that's kind of a, you know, the canned answer a little bit, but (laughs) essentially if you were to break it down to a day-to-day sort of picture of what we do, it is really providing support for our local partners. So ensuring they have 
funding and training that they need to help deliver wildfire preparedness education and resources to communities and individuals. Um, and we're, we're really working, I mean, besides supporting our local partners, we're working at all scales from, you know, helping an individual landowner better understand their risk and what they can do about it, all the way up to, you know, working with a county to help them develop a community wildfire protection plan. So um, I can talk a little bit more detail about what those are later in our conversation, but it's a pretty wide range of, of services and, and um, resources we provide. And um, it's, it's a, it's just, it's kind of like wherever, wherever our constituents are at, wherever the, the entity or the person or the community is currently at in their wildfire adaptation efforts is where we meet them and we do our best to help them build that out. I, I like that a lot. I'm, I'm always going to be uh, in favor of a sort of ground up uh, approach rather than top down. And I, I like that you're like what you said, meeting them where they're at and then helping them go the rest of the way. I think that's a really effective strategy. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. So before we dig too deep into, you know, how DNR and you and, and your programs are addressing the problem, we should talk a, a little bit about, um, I guess, what the problem is in Western Washington in regards to wildfire. Um, I know you and I have talked about this. I've talked about this with a, a lot of foresters and landowners uh, in this region about um, how different wildfire looks in Western Washington compared to Eastern Washington um, and how that cultural perception though maybe isn't entirely up to date because we're often reading a lot of information about fire on the east side and reading about what the solutions are there uh, both from an ecological perspective but even from like a community perspective. Um, the forests look different here and the communities look different here. So you know maybe we can touch a little bit starting with um, you know, how, how is fire different in the West side compared to the East side? Well, that's a great question. Um, and first I want to offer the disclaimer that I'm not a fire ecologist. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we can I'm do that. The, the, um, the general overview here, but sure. it's, I think I'll start with, um, first of all, being on the West, I grew up on the West side of the state, um, for my whole life basically and and in working in this field for the last 15 plus years you know i've i've witnessed a lot of uh changes i would say over the last five or six years so i want to talk about that but but in general like the way we the way that fire um occurs let's just say on the east side of the state is different than on the west side of the state because the timing between fires the, or what we call the fire return interval is much shorter on the east side of the state. So we're talking like five to 30 years between major fires, right? Um, and it's a, it's a known entity. It is something that um, has had a lot of attention, a lot of resources put to it, a lot of research put into it as far as like how do we manage that? What have we done wrong in the past? What can we do better in the future? 
How can we adapt to, you know, a changing environment? How do we deal with these catastrophic wildfires, both at a, you know, landscape management scale and a community scale? Um, and so there's been a lot of attention and resources for a long time on the east side of the state around managing wildfire. On the west side, um, it's different because we have a different environment, we have different types of fuels, and our timing between large-scale fires is a range of like 200 to 400 years, maybe sometimes more. So it's not often something that we see in our lifetime, right? It's not in our faces. It's not something we've been used to dealing with on a regular basis. So it isn't what I like to say in our face <laughs> necessarily, right? And so the, the, and, and we have to recognize that the forests on, you know, the east side of the Cascades are different than the forests on the west side of the Cascades. Our forests are very productive. They grow back really fast. Um, and, you know, the treatment methods that we use on the east side of the state aren't necessarily always going to be um, useful or as effective on the west side of the state. So really, we need to kind of take a little bit different angle when we're talking about uh, managing wildfire. And I don't want to get into too much detail on that. But what I will say is that, um, you know, we, while we don't see fire very often in large scale on the west side, we are overdue <laughs> for right. a large scale fire. Um, and I think over the last six plus years, maybe six to seven years or so, the awareness around wildfire has really risen due to, I think a lot of different factors we're seeing play out like extreme weather events, like the heat dome. Um, we're seeing smoke in the air that's affecting our day-to-day -day activities and our health. You know, we're now having summers where we're like, okay, you know, we're planning a family vacation to go somewhere. And, you know, is it going to be smoky? I just had a family vacation up in British Columbia and we ended up having to stay in the house for almost a day and a half and not go out and play on the water and not go hiking because the smoke was so bad. So we're talking about like things that are affecting our day-to-day -day lives in Western Washington that are making us think about wildfire and what we can do about it. Um, how to be better prepared for it. Um, you know, we saw fires in 2020 on the west side. We saw the Bolt Creek fire last year, and there's been, you know, a ton of media coverage on all of this stuff. Not just, you know, things that are happening on the west side, but things that are happening around our country. Um, there's a ton of media coverage right now. So I guess what I'm getting to in a long-winded way is that we, I do think over the last five years or so, we are really starting to pay more attention to wildfire as a big issue on the West side and making decisions about, okay, what is, and doing research on what is going to be the best management tactics for, you know, reducing wildfire risk in our, you know, communities and in our landscapes. And I think for Western Washington landscapes, we're we're seeing as far as like forest health goes and managing forests i think the focus really needs to be on forest health in general 
because, right. and fire is a component of that, but it isn't maybe like the number one thing we're looking at when we're talking about forest health, right? But a healthy forest is a forest that's going to be more resilient to fire. So, you know, we're seeing effects from drought, we're seeing stress trees from heat. Um, you know, there's, there's issues that are affecting our forest health on the west side that can lead to, you know, disease and bug infestation and dead trees and all this stuff that's really happening right now. And that makes our forests more susceptible to fire. So there are management techniques that are appropriate for the west side that are different from, you know, what might happen on the east side, both on the forest management end and on the community end. Um, couldn't agree more. I just want to say, I think, uh, yeah. you know, working in extension, we're always trying to navigate landowner objectives. Um, and, and that's how we ultimately support, you know, it's like what you said earlier, meeting them where they're at and then kind of helping them get the rest of the way. Uh, and where they're at is always different depending on what their objectives are. And that still applies to wildfire resilience. But the number one thing should always be forest health. And that's the one landowner objective that everyone will have in common. I think wildfire resilience is probably another one that everyone will have in common. Um, but it also includes meeting the forest where it's at and understanding that ecology, as you said, and the differences between west side and east side and how, you know, it might not make sense to go and, and park out your forest like a beautiful dry ponderosa pine stand and try to do prescribed burns. It looks a little different on the west side. Um, so I'm just glad to, I, I really liked your assessment of that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I want I do want to talk a little bit more about specifics on, you know, the, if you have, you know, trees, or, you know, small acreage forest, or even large acreage forest, um, I, I do want to talk more about more specifics about, you know, where to focus your energy, maybe later on in the conversation. But sure. um, one thing I want to add real quick is that, I think this is a positive thing is that our politicians and our government decision makers are also really paying attention to um, increase wildfire risk on the west side and the need for resources to support agencies and local entities that are helping landowners, as well as, you know, direct resources for communities and individual landowners. And, and that support is like right now better than I've ever seen it. There are more resources available than I've ever seen for residents on the West side to better understand their risk and to actually do something about it. And that's everywhere from the federal level to the state level, to the local level. So I think, you know, the fact that we are seeing more fire on the West side and our risk is increasing, which I might talk about too, <laughs> a little bit mm -hmm. further, um, is, is that we are we are seeing um, positive things play out at the at the decision making level as far as you know having resources available to support people in their adaptation to wildfire. Sure, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I know just at the state level, one example was that uh, House Bill eleven sixty eight a couple years ago, a, a historic amount of money for forest health and wildfire, and I believe. Did some of that go to, to fund your program? Yes, actually. Um, House Bill 1168 is the funding source that um, supports the community resilience team, our existence. Mm -hmm. um, efforts on the west side um, 
prior to right now, we're actually also supported by a separate um, budget proviso that was created. Um, and I, that was kind of more specific to a certain program that I'll talk about in a minute. But in general, yeah, that House Bill 1168 is, is one of the biggest uh, funding resources and mechanisms for getting these resources out to people and, and supporting funding of community action. Yeah. And I apologize to the listeners for getting into the legislature, but uh, <laughs> it, it was, you know, it's just a fascinating uh, process. And, and it's really, like you said, it's very encouraging and exciting to see that uh, it seems like a lot of people are on the same page within the political realm, that this is a big issue that, that requires support. Um, I want to touch on something just kind of quickly, and I think the answer maybe is a little obvious, but I want to get your take on it. Um, you know, the population dynamics between Eastern Washington and Western Washington are different. And, and has that, do you think, fed into um, why West Side's getting suddenly more attention when you have huge hubs like, obviously, Seattle, but, um, you know, big towns like Issaquah up in the woods surrounded by forests, um, you know, is that population dy dynamic of just being denser um, feeding into all this additional support? Yeah, I mean, you know, we do have, <laughs> we have a lot of population on the west side and that dense population and that how we've developed our landscapes on the west side in those more forested areas that are continuing to grow in population and continuing to build in those, you know, what we call wildland urban interfaces, which is basically mm -hmm. where our built environment meets our natural environment, um, is those are the areas that are getting a lot of attention because they are at higher risk typically. Um, and there's a lot of people there. And one of the big issues that I think we have on the West side is going to be evacuation. Um, and, and I, I'm hoping that in the increased interest for resources and education, there will be a component of, you know, planning at the county level and at more of the small scale, like fire district or neighborhood level around evacuation planning and what that looks like. And a lot of times that piece comes, is prompted by, you know, active homeowners within a community that say, hey, you know, we recognize that we have this risk and we are concerned about evacuation and we want to come up with a plan. And a lot of that, I think, is um, not just evacuation planning, but communication among neighbors and what that looks like between, you know, a neighborhood or a community and the, you know, the county sheriff's office or the emergency management office or the local fire district or, or the police, whatever it is. Um, but evacuation is, I think, going to be a big issue on the West side, just because there are so many people and we have a lot of these developments that are, you know, up in areas like North Bend and Issaquah, as you just described. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes driving up by 90 and looking at those towns, I do, I just, I, I can't help but notice just how, I mean, it's beautiful. It's why people want to live there. They're tucked away in the forest like that, but uh, there's obviously some problems associated with that, especially as we, um, you know, we see increased risk 
of of wildfire in Western Washington. You started talking about something, and I kind of deterred you from it. So I apologize, but you know, you mentioned like in the last five to ten years, you've started to notice some changes that that have increased that risk. Do you want to talk a little more to that? There's been a lot of research out of, and the research I've been I've been finding very useful is coming out coming out of um, the UW Climate Impacts Group. They've done a lot of in-depth studies on um, wildfire risk and whether it's increasing in Western Washington. And basically the, the bottom line is yes, <laughs> wildfire risk is increasing in Western Washington. And it is due to increasing temperatures in the summer, uh, less rain in the summer, our snow is melting earlier, which means we have less water or moisture available for our vegetation or forests. So those things combined are basically equal drier forests and drier fuels. And we're having these, um, you know, longer fire seasons that we're seeing and more acres burned. So we know that risk is increasing. We have these drier fuels and drier forests. So basically what we have is a conditions that are more ripe for wildfire is how we describe it. Um, you still need an ignition source, right, to kick off a wildfire. And so in that aspect, you know, we're, we're kind of focused on human behavior and or, you know, weather conditions that might start, you know, cause lightning or something, which is less of an issue on the west side. Most of our fires are human caused. So, um, you know, there's the sort of the human behavior piece, right? Are we going to have an ignition source at the wrong time? Right. And then a key ingredient to historically to um, large wildfires on the west side is this east wind event. And that's something that occurs typically late summer, early September, right around right now. Um, And what happens is we get a hot, dry wind from the east side of the Cascades that comes over to the west side and really like dries everything out and gets a, you know, a, a wind speed velocity going that can, if there's a, an ignition source and everything's really dried out, it will just pick it up and run. And that's historically the sort of the recipe for large West side fires. What we don't know right now is whether those East wind events are going to increase due to our changing climate. Um, that's kind of a question mark right now. Uh, I, if there's new research out on it, I haven't seen it, but um, as far as I know, that's kind of a question mark. Will we see those east wind events more or less or the same? Um, but either way, we still have those conditions that are sort of more suited for fire to start and to spread. Right. Yeah. And I believe um, mid-August, we had some uh, red flag warnings in in Western Washington. And for those that aren't aware, what, what's usually behind those red flag warnings is that dry east wind and hot temperatures. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm mistaken. Nope, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and that is something that, you know, when I talk about, you know, what what kinds of solutions are there, one of the things I, I like to bring up for, you know, residents is paying attention to, you know, those weather warnings and reports because you will get the red flag warnings from time to time in the summer. And those are the conditions that are per- basically the perfect uh, lineup of 
if you're going to have a big fire, it is during, it is during those conditions. So, you know, following restrictions and rules around, you know, what you should not be doing <laughs> during right. those red flag warning times is really, really important. Right. Now that's the perfect segue. And I also want to apologize because I think I promised you that we wouldn't talk too much about the technical side of fire. I appreciate you indulging me and explaining it so well, but we wanted to really, what we really wanted to dig into today was, you know, what your program does and sort of the solutions, like you just said, you know, how are you approaching this, um, you know, building community resilience? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that red flag warning, is a huge piece. The few wildfire classes I've taught, I've said the same thing. Just, just keep an eye on the weather and be ready. Um, yes. Be ready when when those uh, red flag warnings are out. Um, how are you going about communicating that to the broader public? Because that's not just forest owners. You know, that's, right. That's, right. it's more than that. Yeah, and actually, we are targeting rural landowners, forest landowners suburban landowners and even in some cases urban landowners and not to you know bring the conversation to something heartbreaking but you know you see what's happened in maui and yeah and uh, and in past fires like the marshall fire and uh, out of colorado and um you know other fires where it may start as what we kind of identify as a wildfire and it turns into an urban conflagration, which is basically when you have, you know, structures that are on fire that are because they're so close together, they're transferring fire from one structure to the next. And it becomes less of a wildfire situation and more of an urban conflagration situation. So we are recognizing that that is something that um, needs some attention as well. Um, but that's kind of a, that's kind of a side note there. So as far as, you know, what our programs are doing and some of the solutions, I would say, you know, we're kind of, we're, it's important to recognize that these solutions happen at multiple scales, right? So right. I would start like at the government level, we, you know, where you mentioned the house bill 1168 earlier, there was another, sorry to get into this again, another <laughs> bill that passed recently or this spring was House Bill and Senate Bill 1578, which puts additional funds towards um, this work in specifically in Western Washington. And there's some other pieces to that. But just the, the empowerment from at the government level uh, to, you know, support agencies and local organizations that provide these resources to the public is really important. Um, you know, like I just said, or the state's doing, Washington state's doing a pretty good job of that right now with passing these bills that continue to support this work, both through DNR and through the Conservation Commission to our conservation districts and other entities. Um, the feds are doing a pretty good job right now of this too. There's a, um, the infra in the infrastructure bill, there was a grant called the Community Wildfire Defense Grant um, I'm not going to go into details on that, but essentially it's federal funding that supports wildfire preparedness and planning efforts, uh, many different scales, um, including, you know, supporting education efforts and writing community wildfire protection plans. So those are kind of at both the federal and state level, there's, there's good support there right now. And that, that is, you know, one of the pieces of this, you know, solution. Um, 
at the more local level, I would say, you know, for people like me and the partners that I work with around Western Washington, it's continuing to build partnerships to kind of make sure that we're sharing unified messages around what it means to be prepared for wildfire and um, ways to do that. And then building, you know, capacity within our local organizations to provide access to those resources for the public. So beyond that, well, I guess one other piece of that I will say kind of at the local level is what I've mentioned a couple times now is those community wildfire protection plans, um, or for short, if we're using, you know, our, our acronyms, it's CWPP. Um, there is some focus right now on developing those, especially in Western Washington. Those typically happen at the county scale, but really what what's essential about those plans is that there's been collaboration between you know, stakeholders around and the public around planning for wildfire, identifying and prioritizing, you know, where the risk areas are and making a, you know, a mitigation, a list of mitigation strategies of how within that county we're going to address those issues. And having that plan in place and going through that process is really a huge piece, foundational piece to, you know, making things happen and finding funding to support actions to reduce wildfire within a county. So that's kind of like the government, you know, county level agency scale efforts, right? Right. And then when you get down to more of the the homeowner landowner scale, this is really important because, you know, while the agencies and government employees and all that stuff, local organizations can do all this work, we really need the landowners, the homeowners, the residents to recognize their role in this because it's really important. And without their participation in these efforts, um, we don't get very far, right? In helping them save homes and uh, manage their forests and all that stuff. So the things at the homeowner landowner scale that I would say are most important to focus on are really, as I mentioned before, paying attention to those um, weather warnings, those red flag warning days. Um, signing up for emergency alerts through your county. Most counties, if not all counties, have some sort of emergency alert system in place where you can get alerts through your phone, your cell phone, your email, whatever. You can, I think there's ways to choose how you get that messaging, but you know, you'll get information about red flag warnings, burn ban restrictions, um, you know, being ready if there is a fire, making sure you have your your what we call emergency go bag together, which embarrassingly I do not have one. <laughs> I shouldn't Me be admitting this, but you know how that goes, right? <laughs> preach, preach, preach. Yeah. Um, I have my list of what I need to go purchase, but I haven't actually put it together. Same. So yep. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is a, a note to ourselves after this podcast. This follow Absolutely. through on our to-do list. <laughs> um and then lastly is really take advantage of the programs and the resources that are out there to help you as a landowner um, know what you can do on your property to reduce that risk, whether it's, you know, helping manage your forest so it can be healthier and more resistant to fire to understanding what you can do in your landscape to make it more fire resistant to understanding how to make your, um, your structures more fire resistant. Um, so taking advantage of those resources, I think is really important. 
Um, Because the more you do, you know, at your property ahead of time, the more likely it is to survive a fire, A, or if there are resources available to help protect your home, um, it makes it safer for them to be there. Yeah, I really appreciate that breakdown. Um, I think uh, one thing we definitely need to do is uh, collect some links to put in the description of this uh, podcast episode so people can, um, you know, refer to those and yes. maybe put your email in there too, if you're willing. Yeah, uh, you yeah so people can reach out. I I was hoping to, to get some information on, um, you know, one specific program that I've been hearing about that's available in certain areas of Western Washington. It's not available everywhere. But the uh, Wildfire Ready Neighbors program, can you tell us a little more about what that is? I would love to. <laughs> I was hoping you would ask me that. I know I've kind of been talking at the more general scale. So now sure. I want to kind of dive into some of the programs that are available for folks and where I think in Western Washington, we really need to focus our efforts. So uh, the Wildfire Ready Neighbors Program is a, a, a DNR program, but it is executed in partnership with conservation districts, fire districts, county emergency management folks, WSU Extension, um, any local partners that have a stake in wildfire um, are typically engaged in, in um, ex- I feel like executing is not the right word, um, <laughs> delivering this program. Um, and it is, the Wildfire Ready Neighbors program is essentially a, uh, it's a portal, it's a website. So just to throw this out there right at the beginning, the website for Wildfire Ready Neighbors is wildfireready.com. And it's a way to, it's a it's an outreach campaign. It's an ad campaign. It's a way to get landowners to come to a central location on a website and get information about how to reduce risk and specific actions they can take on their property to reduce that risk. It also, in areas where this program, and when I say areas, I really mean counties, where this program has been launched um, and an ad campaign has been behind it and an outreach effort has been behind it. Um, In those areas, people that go to the website within that county can not only get, you know, a free wildfire ready plan that has, you know, the actions they can take on their property, but they can also sign up for a, what we call a wildfire ready home visit, which is actually um, a wildfire risk assessment of your property or a forest health consultation. And those services are provided by one of the partners that is engaged in uh, launching the program. So it can be, you know, wildfire staff from DNR that comes out to provide that service. It can be a staff person from your local conservation district, and it could be somebody from one of your fire district, your local fire district. So we've been working really closely with our partners to help provide these services to people when they request it. And right now that program has officially been launched in, I think all, if you look at the map of Washington, I won't list every County, but pretty much all of the counties in central Washington and in Spokane. And then it's also on the west side 
This last spring was launched in Mason, Thurston, and Pierce counties. So if you're a resident of any of those three counties on the west side, you can go to the website and you can sign up to have a wildfire risk assessment of your property or a forest health consultation. And the forest health consultation piece is something that's specifically, I think for the most part, provided by our DNR forest resiliency staff. And the one thing that's cool about that forest health consultation is that um, not only are you getting, you know, advice, but they could also tell you about um, the cost share program that's available to forest landowners, which is pretty cool because it really, it provides cost share for you to actually implement some of the things that they're recommending. So, um, so that, that website is available really to, anybody that wants to go to it, but it is, you know, statewide, anybody can go to this website and at least get the information in places where we've rolled out the program specifically in the counties I mentioned, you can actually request services. So, um, it's a, it's a good way of really getting the interest of an individual to take action on their property and getting them the help and the resources they need to be able to do that. So, The other thing that is great about this Welfare Ready Neighbors program is that it can also be sort of a a gateway to larger scale programs like the Firewise program, because Mm. one of the questions I get a lot, which I don't know, Patrick, if this is floating around in your head or not, but it comes up a lot when we talk about this program, is a lot of people have heard about the Firewise USA program because it's been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, and they're like, well, how does that, how is that different from the Firewise program or how do they work together? So this program is not, it, they complement each other essentially. So what happens a lot of times is through, you know, ad campaigns and a lot of, you know, effort by the partners to let people know about the Wildfire Ready Neighbors program, we get interest, you know, concentrated interest within maybe a neighborhood where a number of people in the same neighborhood have said, Hey, I want you to come out and give me, you know, this advice for my property. Well, it turns out, you know, a bunch of their neighbors are interested too. And then they say, Hey, how can we, you know, work together as neighbors in this community to address wildfire? And that's kind of opens the door for talking about the Firewise USA program, which is more targeted to like the neighborhood scale efforts. Sure. So while Wildfire Ready Neighbors has the word neighbors in it, the way it functions is more targeted towards an individual. The Firewise USA program is a recognition program for the neighborhood as a whole. Um, And, you know, a lot of times what happens, what we've seen um, over this last year is you might have a community that's been involved in the Firewise program for a number of years. And they say, they hear about the Wildfire Ready Neighbors program and they say, oh, well, we're doing all this neighborhood scale work, you know, work to make our forests healthier and shipping projects and things like that. But we haven't really had like these focused on our individual properties where we're actually, you know, what can we do to our structures and our landscaping? We haven't had an assessment of that. So we can use the Wildfire Ready Neighbors program as a tool to get, you know, individual property owners to start knowing what they need to do on their property within a Firewise community. So, you know, they really work well, they really work nicely together. And we, 
you know, DNR is sort of the ad administration behind both the Wildfire Ready Neighbors program and the FireWise program within Washington state. So um, there, without getting into too much detail, there are a ton of resources associated with both of those programs. And um, as Patrick said, you know, we'll be sharing some links and my contact here um, if you so that you can access some of those resources and learn more about what you can do on your property and within your neighborhood. That's awesome. And I I was absolutely going to ask about what's available at the community scale. And I I really like the way that those two could complement each other because I, as we talked about in the beginning, um, you know, a top-down approach to community resilience would be probably really difficult. Um, I've had a couple of chances, just like a side story of working on forest stewardship plans in uh, HOAs mm-hmm. where one person decided that the whole HOA decided that the whole HOA needed a plan, but didn't get the other landowners on board first. So it became <laughs> very complicated, very tricky to navigate all that. If you yeah. have people on board first and on the same page through the Wildfire Ready Neighbors program, imagine it would make adoption of the FireWise community program um, much, much easier. I don't know if that's been your experience. But. Yeah, it, it definitely can. Um, the one thing, though, about the FireWise program is it's kind of recognized that it can be very difficult, especially if you have a large community. Um, it can be very difficult to get buy-in from every single homeowner in a community. So sure. when when a community engages in the FireWise program, it's kind of looked at as a continuing ongoing effort to bring more people in the neighborhood into, you know, knowing about the program, knowing about, you know, projects or resources available in the community through the FireWise program. So it's kind of a growing, expanding thing, knowing that not typically not everybody in the neighborhood is necessarily going to know about it or, or care, you know, sometimes there's people that just don't, they don't have the time and they don't, they don't, it's not a priority for them. So it's a, it's a kind of a growth mindset type of program when it kicks off. Um, so yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Can't can't win them all. So to speak. Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and talking. And, um, you know, as you said, we'll, we'll definitely get some resources um, in the in the description um, so that you're some, some links to, to follow and uh, Jenny's email. So you can, if any interested listeners want to reach out to her and learn more, that would be a great way to start. But as you mentioned, the wildfireready.com, that's a, another great place to start digging into some resources. Uh, the DNR also has a DNR or a landowner assistance portal. So I don't know the the website address offhand, but if you Google land DNR landowner assistance portal, I'm sure it'll take you there. And that's where you could learn more about the uh, uh, forest health assessments that Jenny was mentioning. Yes. Um, and of course, I'm just going to shamelessly plug forestry.wsu.edu to learn about any events happening in your in your your neck of the woods uh, by any of our extension foresters. But um, Jenny, did I did I miss anything? Do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? Well, I'm looking. I, I glanced over at my notes for today, and I realized that I did miss one thing that I wanted to. Well, go for it. Wanted to share, um, and. I think 
and I will share a, a link to this resource, but there's a fellow named Jack Cohen who he's retired now, but he is kind of the brains or what we like to call the godfather behind sort of the firewise <laughs> concepts oh, about cool. how to keep your home from burning in a wildfire. And um, he, he has a video that I'm going to share a link to that I think kind of captures the essential pieces of what you can do as a homeowner to really improve the survivability of your home. And it's really all about focusing on the structure, like your home and its immediate surroundings, because as I'm going to quote Jack Cohen, and this is kind of a funny quote, but um, if your home doesn't ignite, it doesn't burn. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's kind of a duh comment, but at the same time, it's like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's really that simple, right? So I like that. While we, you know, we're talking about sort of the fuels management and forest health, and that's all very important. But if you're really di dialing into the essential of, you know, saving your home in a wildfire, you know, your your structure using fire resistant materials on your structure, making sure there's not a lot of flammable materials or vegetation right up next to your structure within, you know, the first five feet that's where you want to start. And I didn't want to miss getting that message out because it really is um, kind of the essential piece to focus on when you're talking about survivability of homes. I think that's great. And uh, I'll probably make that the title of this episode. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, with that, then I think it's time for us to sign off. Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed um, this. And, you know, it's uh, it should be September 1st today when this comes out. That means a little bit time left in the wildfire seasons for you to do some work. And I hope you all have a, a safe rest of the wildfire season and uh, enjoy the beginnings of fall. And uh, Jenny, thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on and look forward to having you on again sometime. Thank you, Patrick.